And you can grab a seat. So glad that you are here this morning. Really glad to have you. If you're a guest with us, I know I met some of you um, before the service, but really glad that you got to come to church today. And we're, we're glad to have you at Mariners this morning. So we are in this series on the seven deadly sins, and we're going to talk about something I have never, ever preached about or taught through before, and that is a better way for us to view our bodies. So we're looking at these seven vices, so you don't even have to be a a Christian to believe in this list commonly known as the seven deadly sins. Even people who are not religious say, and these things can mess your life up. They can ruin uh, peace from your life and joy from your life and we're going to look today at, the, at what is commonly called gluttony, which is when we make our stomachs or what we consume our ultimate place of finding our hope. And this is a challenging subject because we live in a very tough time for this. We live in a moment that is filled with a lot of paradox around this. We live in a moment where in some regards our culture uh, consumes more and more food uh, that we, we face this convenience and it's always there, that's, that's true. But on the other side, there is a fitness boom in our culture. So it's like, which one's true? Well, you know, a paradox is when two things that seem conflicting are both true at the same time. So we are in this paradoxical moment in terms of how we view our bodies. And a way to illustrate that would be to, to remind you of two competitions that are both aired on the same station, ESPN. On one hand, you have the Nathan's hot dog eating competition. And for the last many years, Joey Chestnut is the guy who um, typically wins. He won again this last year. He downed 71 hot dogs in 10 minutes, bun included, 71 hot dogs. I, I could maybe do four if my life depended on it. He went 71 hot dogs in 10 minutes. 25 years ago, when the competition first began, it only took 20 hot dogs to win. Now it takes 71 in 10 minutes. So on one side, there's, it pictures this overconsumption that we have in our culture. But yet also on ESPN is the CrossFit Games in which people compete and they care for their bodies so much and they compete uh, to, to be the winner and to win prizes of the CrossFit Games. And so both are happening in our culture. So on this side, we are consuming more. And all doctors agree that the lack of health in our culture is a problem. Researchers debate what the culprit is. Some say it's convenience that you can have food delivered to your house or food delivered to your place of work now. It's just easier to eat more. Others point to longer work hours so we sit at desk longer and we have less time to exercise. Some point to how cheap we can eat here in the U.S. compared to other countries in terms of income per price of food ratio. And others look at the portion sizes. So Penn State University did this massive study and said, here's what has happened to portion sizes. Look at 1960, the average French fry at a fast food restaurant was 2.4 ounces compared to today, and it's six ounces. And so we just eat more. There's just, it's just more convenient. And so on one side, there is this consumption of food, but yet on the other side, we exercise more. We care more about health in our culture. Gym memberships in the last several decades, look at 1988, there were 19.5 million Americans that had a gym membership. And in 2018, that number is now 62.5 million people have a gym membership. 
When I was growing up in, in high school and I wanted to work out at the gym, there was one gym in my community. And it had three benches and some bars. And that's pretty much all you had. Now there's boutique fitness centers, 24-hour fitness centers with massages and protein shakes. There's online fitness. There's streaming fitness services. There's, there's um, CrossFit boxes and hot yoga boxes. I mean, there's just tons of fitness options. And so we live in this paradoxical moment where we can consume more, but we also have pressure to take care of our bodies. And so all of this can confront us with we feel a lot of guilt sometimes over our bodies. We struggle with how we look. Most of us aren't satisfied with our bodies. Tina Fey recently in her book, Bossy Pants, talks about the struggle that women will feel with their bodies. She said this, now every girl, this is about this paradoxical moment we're in and the pressure we have about our bodies. She said, every girl is expected to have Caucasian blue eyes, full Spanish lips, a classic button nose, hairless Asian skin with a California tan, a Jamaican dance hall booty, long Swedish legs, small Japanese feet, the abs of a gym owner, the hips of a nine-year-old boy, and the arms of Michelle Obama. <laughs> that is a lot of pressure and impossible, impossible to live up to. Teenagers in the room, this is what is said often of teenagers, and it's, it's tragic that there's so much pressure to post the perfect picture on Insta that you will take, research says, 20 to 30 photos before you actually post one. See, when I struggled as a high school student with, I wasn't developing muscles at the same rate that my friends were developing muscles, I didn't have the pressure that you face today to constantly see a stroll of pictures on my social media account. I mean, we live in a moment where there is a lot of pressure about our bodies, and yet we are pulled in these paradoxical directions. I mean, this is a tough time to live as we think about our bodies. Dove did a research study and concluded that only 4% of people are satisfied with their bodies, only 4%. They all live in Orange County, but only 4% of people, <laughs> it's not true. Because even people who you think love their bodies struggle at times with their bodies. The New York Times did a study in an article about how we talk badly and poorly about our own bodies. And they said as we age, we move from what they called fat talk to old talk. That when we're younger, it's like, am I fat? Does this make me look fat? I feel like I'm fat. I don't, I'm a fat. Why am I fat? There's fat talk. But then as we age, we, we, we replace fat talk with old talk. Do I look old? I feel like I'm looking old. This is older. I'm, I'm, do I look old? That fat talk becomes old talk. In other words, we just struggle. We struggle through our lives with how we are to look at our bodies. And so this paradoxical moment that we're in actually pulls us into this struggle. And today we're going to talk about gluttony and a better way to live. Now, some of you are jacked. You're like, yes, finally, we're talking about gluttony at church. Boom, you're the fitness guy. I mean, you, you have like the six pack and you're jacked that you're at church and we're talking about gluttony. You're like, get rid of the donut table. Let's do boot camp right after the 1130 service. That's what I'm talking about. You were like the fitness guy, right? But before you get too excited, before you're like, boom, finally, my, that's my pastor right there. He's hitting it. Before you get too excited, understand that we're going to look at a broader view of gluttony, that it's not only what we consume, that you can actually also 
be gluttonous when you're focused so much on your body that you're constantly consuming gym reps and protein powder and selfies of your biceps that in the same way you're focused on your body. It's an over-focus on your body. So gluttony, as we look at it today, this is how it's going to be defined. It's when we take our eyes off Christ and we put our eyes on something else in our bodies. We either make our stomach our God or we make our bodies our God. C.S. Lewis, in his classic work, The Screwtape Letters, he says there's two types of gluttony. There is gluttony of excess, and there's gluttony of delicacy. So sometimes we only think gluttony of excess, overeating, overeating, abusing food, abusing alcohol, eating too much, drinking too much, gluttony of excess. But he says there's also this gluttony of delicacy where you're still so consumed about food and you're not even enjoyable to go out to dinner with because you're constantly peppering the server with questions about what you're about to eat. Hey, I'm filling out my app. Um, I need to know where this was sourced from and how many grams of protein are before I order this breast of chicken. I need to know exactly what it is before I order this, that that could be gluttony of delicacy when you're over-consumed with food still. So in this paradoxical moment, let me, let me tell you what we're going to talk about. There's two extremes that we want to avoid. One is body abuse, where we abuse this one gift of a body the Lord has given us. We want to avoid body abuse. But the other is body adoration, where we make our bodies the sole focus of our life. We don't want to commit body worship or body adoration. Now, some of you are like, well, I've never done that. I mean, I've never like gotten out of the shower, looked in front of the mirror and been like, I exalt thee. I mean, I've not done that. I've not done that. I've not sung a, you know, how great is my bod. I've never done that. I've not done that. But if you constantly think about your body, if you're constantly thinking about it, that's exactly what you're doing. And neither body abuse nor body adoration are going to satisfy you. So we're going to look at two passages of Scripture. Listen, man, I have prepared this more time on this message than most messages that I've ever taught here. And here's why. In this moment where there is a lot of pressure because of this paradox that we're in, I don't want you to show up at church this weekend and walk out with more of a burden because you heard a sermon today. And so understand where I'm taking you on a journey over the next couple of moments is at the end, you're going to see what God says about your body. And what I hope happens, what my prayer for you this whole week has been, is that as you walk out here in a couple moments, that there's going to be liberation for you and joy for you in how God views your body. That not that pressure for you is going to increase, but that pressure in this moment is actually going to decrease. So we're going to look at two passages, both written by the Apostle Paul when he speaks about your body. One is to the church at Philippi and one's to the church at Corinth. So look with me, Philippians chapter 3 is the first passage. And the Apostle Paul says this, For I have often told you, and I now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. And here's a great statement about gluttony. Their God is their stomach. So gluttony can either be your stomach is your God or your body is your God. Their God is their stomach. And does this make life good for them? Does this make life happy for them? No. Notice the next statement. Their glory is in their shame. So it actually brings shame. They are focused on earthly things, 
but our citizenship is in heaven. So as Christians, we, we should be different. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So the body you have now is limited in some way. And one day you're going to receive a new body for those of us who are Christians because we're going to spend forever with him. So we should care for the body we have now, but we understand it's a temporary body. It's a temporary body that we have here, and we're one day going to get this new body. All right, now look at 1 Corinthians 6. Same author, the Apostle Paul, speaking to a different group of people about their body. He says this in verse 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. So what we're going to do over the next couple moments is I'm going to, by God's grace, expose the foolishness of both worshiping your body, body, body adoration, but also of abusing your body. And we, we, we struggle in this moment to go back and forth between those two. And so we're going to see why we don't want to do those two. And then we're going to see how God views our body. The solution is to view our bodies the way God views our bodies. So first, why do we not want to do body abuse or body adoration? Three reasons. First, body abuse and body adoration, they both make good, they both make gods out of good gifts. Paul says that for the people who are not walking with Christ, their God is their stomach. They've taken a gift of God and they've made it their God. They've taken gifts and made it their gods. So food and your body both are gifts from God. Food is a gift of God. God gave us food. It's a gift. Some of you are going to have an incredible lunch with friends today, and that's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing because God gave you food for you to enjoy community together. He gave you food and a glass of wine to enjoy relationships with one another. This is a good gift of God. He's the one who gave you the taste buds. He's the one who gave the chefs the ingenuity and the creativity to combine different flavors and spices together so that we can enjoy this food. Food is a great gift. In fact, even in the Old Testament... God told his people to have feasts together and to celebrate because food was a gift for them, for them to remember that God gave all of their needs, that God met every single need they had. Food is a great gift, but food is a horrible God. When your stomach becomes your God and your stomach bosses you around and your stomach rules over you, you will not be quenched. Your body is a great gift. Your body's a gift. If you can move your body at all today, you walked in here, understand this is a good and gracious gift from God. You could walk. You could walk here today. You could walk in this worship service. This is a gift of God. You live in an amazing place where you can run and you can jog and you can surf and you could stand up paddleboard and you can mountain bike and the days are longer today. I mean, this is incredible. These bodies are a gift from God and we should steward these bodies well because they're a gift and we get to enjoy the gift that he's given us of a body that we can move. It's a gift, but it's not a good God. And when you start to worship your body, you're going to be always frustrated and your glory is going to be your shame. Jesus, while he was here, while he walked this earth, 
He enjoyed food. He enjoyed friends as good gifts. In fact, those of you who lean towards body adoration, like they're all that kind of person, you have to be careful you don't look with judgment at people who you think don't take care of their bodies. You have to be careful that you don't get judgmental. Because do you know who in the New Testament is the only person who was called a glutton in the New Testament? I'll ask it again, and this time you can even answer. You can even answer. <laughs> the only person who was called a glutton in the New Testament was Jesus. Jesus is the only one who's called a glutton, and he's called a glutton by the religious leaders because they saw him spending time with people they didn't approve of because Jesus was always having a party. He was enjoying food, and he was with people, and he was enjoying the gift of food and the gift of community. And Jesus said of himself in Matthew 11, verse 19, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, food is this gift. Your body is a great gift. And so how do you know if it moves from gift to God? How do you know? Here's how you know. Here's a test for you. They're both gifts, but they become a God when they stop being a means to an end and they become your end. See, food is a gift when you enjoy it as a means for you to remember how good God has been to you. Food is a gift when you enjoy it as a means for hanging out and enjoying other people. Your body is a gift when you enjoy it as a tool God has given you to serve others. And when you care for your body because it's important in your profession to care for your body or because you're going to steward your body well so you have energy for your profession or for your family or to serve God, then you are stewarding your body. That's the right way to approach your body. But when you view your body as the end game of life, then it's become your God. So first, gluttony is making gods out of these good gifts. Number two, Neither body abuse nor body adoration leaves you satisfied. Neither one is going to quench you. When I used to travel a lot for work, there was this um, magazine in the seat pocket in front of you on the airplane, like the Sky Magazine, you could pull it out. And I know it was an advertisement, but it always hooked me every time. Every month, they would have a new list of the top 10 state places in America. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I want, I want to see. And I would look at the cities that they are, you know, New Orleans or Austin or Chicago or LA, wherever, whatever city. And I would look in, in, at my calendar and see if I was speaking in any of these places or if I was going to be in any of these places for work or if Kay and I were going to be in these places. And I would, I want to have the best. I want the best steak. I mean, I, I like steak. So I want the best one. And I would go to these restaurants. And at the end of the meal, I still would need to eat again the next day. It just doesn't ultimately quench. And if you lean towards body adoration, you're never going to stand in front of the mirror one day and be like, it is finished. It is finished. The work has been done. It's complete. There's always going to be another goal. If you hit your BMI goal, there's going to be another BMI goal. If you hit your fat percentage goal, there's going to be another goal. If you hit your bench press goal, there is another goal. They're never going to fully satisfy you. A couple years ago, there was a movie starring George Clooney that came out called Up in the Air. And in that film, his goal, he was a glutton for miles, for air miles. 
And other people thought it was a bit odd. One of his colleagues was like, okay, you want to get 10 million miles, but why? What's, why do you want 10 million miles? What's the other end? That's, surely that's a means to another end. And he corrects her during a lunch conversation and says, no, you don't understand. 10 million miles is the goal. It's the end. I want 10 million miles. Why do you want 10 million miles? Because more people have walked on the moon than have gotten 10 million air sky miles. I want 10 million miles. That is the goal. What do you get when you get it? Well, the captain comes and meets you, and you are one of only seven people who have ever done it. I want 10 million air miles. So he reorients his whole life around this goal. All the food vouchers he eats or doesn't eat are to help him get more miles. He plans trips for his work to get this goal. Everything is about getting 10 million miles. And I thought, I thought the scene when he actually gets his 10 million miles was so well put together. And I don't know if the producers or directors meant to do this, but it was a, it's a very spiritual scene for me. Because as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, that's exactly, that's exactly what happens in my heart when I get a goal other than Jesus, it doesn't end up satisfying it doesn't end up quenching. So I want you to take a look at the scene and I want you to see how what happens when he gets his goal, how he's so unquenched. Take a look. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a special announcement to make. Our pilot has just informed me that we are passing over the city of Dubuque, which might not mean much to most of you, but means a lot to one of our flyers today. Oh, no. Because he just hit 10 million miles. Congratulations. Such an amazing accomplishment. You must be very, very exciting. <laughs> no. Well, hi, Captain. Captain. That seat taken? No. No. You're the youngest yet to hit 10 mil. Don't know where you found the time. I don't know. We really appreciate your loyalty. You know how many times I thought about this moment? Played out the conversation that you and I would have right here. Really? What did you want to say? Do you see the lack of satisfaction in his eyes? When you make something other than Christ your goal, your ultimate purpose for living, that's, that's always how we end up. All right, here's number three. Both body abuse and body adoration are focused on the temporary. When you abuse your body with too much food, too much drink, and you abuse your body, you are focused on the temporary. You are thinking only about this meal or only about this moment. And you're not thinking about the long-term implications for your health. You're not thinking about people taking care of you. You're not thinking about the next decade of your life. But when you commit body worship or body adoration, you're also focused on the temporary because you're not going to live in this body forever. Gravity and time are catching up with all of us at all the time. And so both are focused only on the temporary. So what's the solution? What, how, do we, how do we view our bodies? There was a study done 
by Biola. Some psychologists at Biola that I thought was fascinating as I read the abstract, they viewed they interviewed two groups of Christians. So they would, inter- they would put all of us who are Christians into two categories in this room, okay? You see which category you're in. They put Christians into category one who view their faith as separate from their body. In other words, I love Jesus, but I don't really think about my body being connected to my faith. I'm a Christian, but being a Christian isn't about my body. Being a Christian is only about my heart, my soul, and, it's, and that's what loves Jesus, but I don't really think about my body. Then there was another group of Christians that, yes, they loved Jesus, but they viewed their body as connected to their faith, as because I'm a Christian, I should view my body differently. This group who understood or viewed their body through the lens of their faith were much happier with their bodies, were much more satisfied with a body image, and had a much more positive outlook on how they approached their bodies And so we want to see, we want to be this type of Christian. We want to see our bodies through the lens of our faith. In other words, we want to see what God says about our bodies. So in the next couple of moments, I'm going to speak over you what the scripture says God thinks about your body. And so this is the solution to view your body this way. Number one, hear this. If you're wrestling with, if you're one of the 96% who isn't satisfied with your body, listen to what the scripture says. You were knit together by God. The scripture says in Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14, this is David speaking to God. It was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. David says, God, you fashioned me together while I was in my mother's womb. Now, this is fascinating because when you read the scripture, we understand that when God created the heavens and the earth, he spoke them into existence. When he separated day from night, he spoke that into existence. When he created the land and the sea, he spoke and they were. When he created the stars, he spoke and they were. When he created the animals for the land and for the fish for the sea, he spoke and it was. But when he created you, he took his time and he fashioned you and he knit you together over a period of months while you were in your mother's womb. He didn't just speak you into existence. You are his masterpiece, his handiwork. He crafted you together with great intentionality and great intensity. He formed you while you were in your mother's womb. So don't speak poorly of your own body because you are created in the image of God and he crafted you together. He crafted you. This is encouraging news. This week at the table at dinner one night with our daughters, we told them the story about how when they were in Kay's womb, my wife, we read this book every single day. It was a book that Kay had that chronicled what takes place in the womb every day. And it was fascinating because you would read on this day, the fingernails are formed. On this day, the nose is formed. On this day, the eye sockets are formed. On this day, the nose takes shape and, and eyelids come. And we would read it every single day as we prayed for our daughters as they were in the womb. And so we're reminding them over dinner, listen, understand that God puts you together. He carefully built you and crafted you. You are created in his image and he knit you together carefully. That's how he views your body. So look at your hand right now. Just look at your hand. Understand, like look even at the lines on your hand that he drew those lines on your hand while you were in your mother's womb. Some of you have 
struggled with guilt because you thought or you were told you were an accident, but you were no accident. God put you together while you were being crafted. He even drew the lines in your hand, the shapes of your fingers. He put it all together uniquely and creatively. You've been crafted by the very hand of God. So view your body that way. Here's how else you should view your body. Number two, you're a child of the king. This passage we read says that our citizenship is in heaven. So we now belong to King Jesus. We've been brought into a new kingdom, and this king is also our father. This king is our father. And you know how parents are. We care so much about our kids, and we think our kids are stunningly beautiful. We put pictures of them in our offices and in our homes, and we have pictures of them on our phones. The reason that we had that conversation this week at the dinner table is because Evie, my youngest, came home from school one day all upset, crying because some other girls had said some mean things about her body and her smile being weird and awkward and making fun of her smile. And you should see what that did to my wife. I can't repeat the things my wife said at the table. The anger sermon's coming in a couple weeks, but this is the body image sermon. And the reason Kay in rightness responds that way is because that's her daughter. And you're his daughter. You're his son. And so when you speak poorly of your body or you view your body as no big deal or you vacillate between um, fat talk and old talk, you are speaking poorly of a daughter of the king and the daughter or son of your father. And number three, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you are new to the Christian faith, what I'm about to say is it's even confusing for us as Christians to explain, but this is what we believe the Bible teaches, that the moment you become a Christian, the Spirit of God moves into your life, that the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in your life. Which means if you speak poorly of your body, you're saying to God, you don't like where he lives. You don't like his house. You don't like where he chose to stay. Because God has moved into your life. You've heard the term before, sacrilegious. The definition of sacrilegious is to treat what is sacred as if it's common or ordinary. To treat what is sacred as if it's common. Your body is sacred because you are crafted in the image of God. He views you as his son or his daughter. He's made you his son or daughter, and he's moved in. Your body is sacred. And so to not view your body as sacred is sacrilegious. Let me give you an extreme illustration and hang with me to the end because some of you are going to be like, I can't even believe my preacher saying this. So hang with me. Junior year of high school. This is before I became a Christian. I don't think any of the guys that I did this with were Christians, but one night we were all sitting around and we were, we were smoking weed and we ran out of rolling paper. So we still had weed, but we didn't have any more rolling papers. And so we, I thought we were done. All the other guys thought we were done. Um, there's more weed to roll, but we don't have the rolling papers to roll it in. So one of the buddies gets up and says, dude, I got an idea. And he goes into a room and he comes back and he comes back with a Bible. Hang with me. It, now, just remember the, oh, that just happened. Just remember that because it's going to make a point in a moment. 
And he says, hey, man, I got an idea. I heard you can do this. You can, um, the, the pages in a Bible are super thin. We can rip pages out of the Bible and use the pages from the Bible as our rolling paper. Everybody in the room, again, guys that aren't Christians are like, bro, ain't no way we're doing that. Get out now. I don't want to get struck dead by lightning. Bro, we're not taking pages from a Bible and rolling weed in that thing. We are not taking pages from a Bible and rolling a joint with pages from the Bible. That's crazy, bro. Get out of this house. That's sack. Everybody said, that's sack religious. Taking something, even, even, you don't even have to be a Christian to view this as a sacred book. Taking something that's sacred and using it for something that is common. A moment ago, as I started sharing the story, you're like, oh, I know where this is going. He's not going. I can't even believe my pastor even came out of his mouth. I can't even believe, I can't even believe he said it. That's how some of you were thinking. But when you speak poorly of your body, you are speaking in common language of the sacred temple where God lives. When you abuse your body, when you abuse your body, you are abusing the sacred temple where God lives. It's sacrilegious to not care for the one gift of a body that the Lord has given. In the Old Testament, the temple was the place where God's people gathered to worship him. And so because it was the temple, they would not abuse the temple. They would not destroy the temple. The temple had to be cared for because that's where they met with God. But they also wouldn't adore the temple. They wouldn't bow down before the temple. They wouldn't have bowed down and kissed the temple. The temple was a tool for them to worship God. So they wouldn't adore the temple and they wouldn't abuse the temple. They would honor the temple and treat the temple with the sacred perspective that it needs to be treated because that's where God and man met. Understand that your body is a temple of the spirit, that the spirit of God has moved into your life and it's sacrilegious to either adore the temple temple or to abuse the temple, your body is a temple of the spirit. And what I wanted that illustration to do is just as much as it recoiled in you to hear someone treat the scripture that way, I want you to view your body that way because God's moved in because God has moved in to your body. We're never going to stand in front of the, the mirror and say, ah, it is finished. But on the cross, Jesus, as he died, looked at you, the one that he would craft while you were in your mother's womb. And he loved you and he pursued you. And as he died for you on the cross, he yelled out, it is finished. I am securing her salvation. I am securing his forgiveness. She's mine. He's mine. I am creating her. I'm making her my son and daughter. And I'm moving in. I'm moving into his life. That's how God views your body. So what's the better way to live? It's not to abuse, it's not to adore, but it's to honor God with our bodies. So we're gonna close by reading this scripture together before we sing. And I pray that this scripture will get deep into our hearts. Will you stand with me and read it? I'll start us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I start, you join. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. You were not your own. You were bought at a price. 
How much does God care for you? How much does he love you? It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that we were redeemed from the empty way of life that was handed down to us by our forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect, 1 Peter 1.18. How much did he want you? He paid for you with his blood. He purchased you and bought you with his sacrifice. So because of that, notice the verse, so abuse your body? No. So glorify your body? No. Glorify God with your body. Glorify God with your body. Were thou, O Lord, art high above all the
Amen. If there's anything going on in your life that we can pray with you about, we have a team of people right by those lights that would love to pray with you. We know we're stirring up issues in this series that we're talking about, so don't leave if there's something that you need prayer for, whether a decision or a challenge in your life, we'd love to pray with you. If your need is prayer for healing today, we have an elder prayer room, and every week they pray for physical healing, emotional healing to get to that room. You go through the doors in the back and you take a right. Well, why don't you extend your hands and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Father, I pray for your children, the ones that you have crafted while they were in their mother's womb, the ones that you have brought into your kingdom and the ones that you have moved into and you live within them. I pray this week that you would bless them. I pray over them now that you would remind them that they belong to you. I pray you would help them to see themselves the way that you see them. This new week, bless them with wisdom in their decisions, joy in their relationships. Keep them for yourself. Bless them, Father. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Have a great week. Go in peace.